Welcome back to the Society Case Files podcast. My name is Robert, and I'll be your host. Today, I'm talking to Ben S. Reeder, an author of several books, including the Demon's Apprentice series, which is available on Amazon and Audible. He's a brand new book coming out on July 15th called Reign of Angels, and you should absolutely check it out. All the links will be included in the description of this, and he's going to talk about those as well. Um, just a brief disclaimer, we did have some technical difficulties through the interview, which I've edited out, but uh, thank you, Roadcaster Pro 2, which is, if you don't know, a very new piece of gear. It's bleeding edge because it only just came out uh, about a month ago. I didn't get it, but two and a half weeks ago, and they're constantly patching the firmware and all kinds of other stuff, so it gave us some grief this time. Hopefully next time we'll have those things worked out. Um, I'll definitely be inviting Ben back. He was fantastic, and we had a lot of other things to talk about beside the questions I prepared. Um, I'd love to get more in-depth about some philosophies and some perspective on different types of supernatural literature and movies and shows and all that great stuff. So I hope you find him as fascinating as I did, and I think you will absolutely love not only his personality, but his work as well. So... Without any more preamble, I will jump right into the interview. Well, thank you very much for mm-hmm. agreeing to do this, and um, oh, I look yeah. forward to it. Would you uh, Would you mind introducing yourself and letting everybody know what you're all about? Sure thing. Okay. So um, I am Ben Reader, uh, author of the Demons Apprentice series. Um, I also go by the one true Ben. Uh, so, um, that's a, it's kind of a fun nickname. There's a whole story behind it. But uh, yeah, um, I am a writer and um, a dad and a granddad. And uh, so, um, but yeah, that's that's the, the essence of me is, is I write the Demons of Prince. I write books. So... And I saw that you do comics too. That you do scripts for comics. Um, not exactly. I did. I did work with one. We had. Uh, I play Marvel superheroes. And oh, okay. We originally wanted to. Uh, we originally wanted to do a comic book way back in the day, um, but we never got the skill together to do that. But yeah, I love comic books. I've been a comic fan since uh, since I was a kid. So yeah, I haven't done any comic scripts. Um, I helped with like one uh, screenplay. Oh, okay. But uh, nothing ever came of that, really. Novels is novels have pretty much been my uh, been my thing. Cool. So, what was it that uh, got you into being a writer? What was your background that you found yourself there? Cool. So the truth is, on that, um, I've always been a storyteller. Um, as a kid, you know. Uh, I was, you know, I, I loved reading. I grew up reading uh, Tolkien, Conan. Um, I grew up in South Texas, so my reading choices were outside of like uh, Tolkien and uh, like um, oh, uh, the Narnia series, things like that. Uh, it was in like Conan, the uh, you know the the Mac Bolan series, a bunch of pulp stuff like that. But I always. Um, as a kid, I my my play was storytelling. I couldn't do just you know um, just regular sports. So for me, I always you know 
when Star Wars came out and action figures became a thing, um, my action figures became like my uh, like my storytelling cast. That's awesome. So I was, yeah, so I was always, uh, and I don't know if you can see behind me if you're uh, uh, on your Skype, but I still have a quite the action figure collection. Oh yeah, yeah, you got a lot of stuff back there. I see your Tie Fighter. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Right, That's so cool. Tie fighter, ATAT, um, Falcon back there, and then these up here are from a series uh, called. Um, oh God, I had it in the top of my head. Now it's <laughs> um, uh, Exo Squad. I had to turn around and look at it. Oh, yeah, uh, called Exo Squad. It was. Uh, That's I forgot all about that. <laughs> Right, of like two seasons, you know. Yeah, that was an that was a yeah. The, it was it kind of I think it kind of inspired the um, the way that the um, Starship Troopers animated series looked like when they came out with that mm-hmm. for Saturday morning, ages ago. Yeah, because I remember seeing that going. Hey, this kind of reminds me of the Exo Squad style of thing. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, most of that has been, I've always been, a, you know, and my mom used to always tell me, you know, you need to break this stuff down um, when they were when they were telling me, you know, that you had out of Star Wars. Ah. So, <laughs> you know, um, so it was, you know, one of, one of two things. But yeah, storytelling has always been like my, my go-to thing. And that's what led me to writing. And uh, what, what, what made you pick your genre? So I've seen a bunch of your book covers and I kind of read about what types of things you write about. What drove you down those paths? So I used to, um, urban fantasies long been a, a uh, as, as you know, since I really started reading on my own, urban fantasy and fantasy have been my favorites, but I think, um, what started me on urban fantasy as a genre that I could write in was actually reading uh, Dead Beat by Jim Butcher and realizing this guy's this guy's voice is very much like mine, very sarcastic, very um, um, what's what I'm for, um, very dry humor, you know, and um, kind of a little bit of a noir sensibility without going overboard and. So that started me on it. And then I, I like to joke that I got into uh, young adult by accident because um, the Demon's Apprentice really started out as a, uh, as a game that we were writing, that we were doing. The theme was a reluctant hero. And suddenly I find that I have this whole story ready to go. And so suddenly, you know, I'm writing in what turns out to be young adult, um, <laughs> you know. So, but urban fantasy, fantasy and urban fantasy of all, and, and sci-fi have long been uh, my, you know, my go-tos. I think one of the other ones that was a really strong influence on me uh, is a very obscure book called Gossamer Axe by Gail Bodino. Um, she, it's a, it's, it's a very... Uh, very Wiccan book during her written written during her Wiccan phase, uh-huh. and because um, I think she became uh, she became like she converted to I'm not sure if it was Mormon or Jehovah's Witness later on in life. But uh, oh my yeah. goodness, what a what a transition! Yeah, yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And it was also my first, um, it was also one of my first, because in the 80s when I first started, because this came out like 86, 87, um, about the same time I was, I was discovering the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Um, <laughs> Uh, and I'm talking the black and white version, not the uh, not the you know not the the ones with the different colored masks. Uh, and um, uh, that was a big influence on me. That got me into um, urban fantasy, and then reading Mercedes Lackey, who did a lot of urban fantasy, uh, you know, the um, Serrated Edge and stuff like that, uh, and Portal Fantasy were a lot of big some of my big influences. But yeah, um, those are. Those are the genres that I enjoy reading, so that's the ones I enjoy writing. So, I guess I'm trying to remember. Mm -hmm. There was a book that reminds me so much of what you just said, and hopefully I'll remember before this is over. It's really, I don't want to say really old, because I don't necessarily think it's, (laughs) I don't want to date myself. But I swear it was I think I even read it in school. Anyway, it was a it was a vampire novel and it was my first time of reading what I kind of think of as urban fantasy because it was very mm-hmm. rooted in the modern day and uh the characters were um a sort of symbiotic vampire that was both male and female and as they grew older <clears throat> at some point one became more dominant than the other and they sort of Jekyll and Hyded their lives throughout uh time so it's kind of interesting that's fascinating yeah i've never uh, that's a great that's an interesting concept on that i will have to try and find it if i do find the title i'll share it with you later because man it's killing Mm -hmm. me you're you're describing the other one and for some reason it popped in my head and that was like i say i think that was pretty much my first urban fantasy because before that the closest i probably Mm would have gotten was uh barbara hambly with um um Mm -hmm. her vampire novel those who hunt the night i think is what it was called where the okay. main character was yeah. a woman who was like a, it's in the Victorian era, but she was a um, forensics person and her husband was mm-hmm. a detective and they encounter vampires. It's pretty cool. <laughs> Sounds pretty cool. So. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, um, yeah. And those, those are my genre. Those are the things I like because every, anything is possible. Yeah. Um, it definitely makes it a lot easier to write that kind of thing because some of the, um, obstacles that you face as an author are things like well can i make x happen and and get mm-hmm. through this part it's just you can explain it with magic or something and it becomes plausible mm-hmm. so um right. it's one of the reasons that i got into it because i didn't want to have to face those uh struggling like intersections of mm-hmm. oh my god now i've got to go and do research for 3 days on you know police procedure <laughs> so which is actually one of the things i love um, you know, it's one of those things that I would encourage any author to do, go out and do stuff, you know, learn about a thousand different things. Oh, you know, I, I, uh, a long time ago, I was reading about John Grisham and his personal philosophies mm-hmm. on writing and, uh, mm-hmm. how he, how he basically became an author instead of just some, you know, lawyer dude. Mm-hmm. And he would get up before right. court and he would write. And he'd write basically from like five till six thirty, and then he'd prepare for court and go to court and do his thing. But mm-hmm. even he was saying that you really want to like mm-hmm. live a little bit before you try and write a book that has any real meaning because you need to have yeah. done something, whether that's, you know, get out and travel a little bit or, you know, have a couple mm-hmm. of jobs, something 
You know, don't just, yeah. you know, absolutely. I, I know this is probably unpopular opinion, but Aragon is a good example to me of something that really was written by someone that probably didn't have any business getting as popular as he did. I mean, Aragon really does read <laughs> like somebody who copied their favorite stuff and mm-hmm. just changed the names to protect the guilty. And reads like a 15 year old copy, you know, writing what he wants to, you know, the book he wants to have. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, now I'm going to be fair with him. There was one time that I sat down to write a sci-fi and about three chapters in, I go, Oh my God, this is star Wars. This is exactly star Wars. What am I doing? (laughs) But Mm -hmm. I stopped myself. Maybe I shouldn't have, maybe I'd be wealthy beyond my dreams. Like Chris (laughs) at this point. Right. (laughs) So let me ask you, so this podcast, I I generally have been focusing on helping people with things like editing and uh, thoughts Mm -hmm. about how to do writing, get past certain obstacles, Mm -hmm. all that stuff. So Mm -hmm. in this regard, what do you do to overcome stuff like writer's block or how do you cope with driving Mm -hmm. to deadlines and how do you even develop your deadlines if you do them yourself? So for me, um, writer's block... is that's something we all deal with, you know, as a writer. I mean, that's just, that's just a standard, you know, bog standard, this is a problem. Everybody, some people say, ah, it's made up and things like that. And that's, that may be true, but that doesn't make it any less real. Uh, And I think the big thing about writer's block is to understand what causes it. Um, And to me, the root cause of writer's, writer's block is fear, pardon me, is fear. Writer's block, I think 99% of it is you're afraid that what you're going to write is just going to be utter joke, you know, and it's just going to be crap and nobody's going to like it. And, you know, and even you're not going to like it, but I'll tell you, um, just like we were talking about with, you know, you're writing and suddenly I'm going, you're going, Oh my God, this is star Wars. <laughs> um, if I were talking to you now, uh, then you, for me now, now me, um, <laughs> here's, uh, you know, uh, here's what I would told you. Keep going. Write, because one of my biggest things is, uh, one of my, one of my primary rules of writing is give yourself permission to write badly. Um, just, you know, give yourself, tell yourself it's okay to write utter junk. <laughs> Because, um, because one, you can edit a bad story, yeah, um, but you cannot edit a blank page. All you can do is add to it. <laughs> um, so one of the things is is to, is to learn to write fearlessly. Just write what, write the story that you hear in your head. Um, so, and I would ask anybody who you know who's going, how do I get to be a better writer? Um, Ezra Glass, uh, it was Ira Glass. Uh, does a thing has a thing called uh, the taste gap. The idea is that as a, as a, as a starting writer, as any writer, the idea is to get a lot of work done because at the, the, the problem that most writers run into is that their taste is better than their skill, but their skill needs practice to improve. So the more you do, the better your skill becomes because we become writers, become creators because we have good taste. We have this thing that we want to do. Uh, and so that, that also leads me to the idea of what I call the lens effect. So I experience my writing in my head like Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings. 
okay? I've got this massive, beautiful, wonderful thing, okay? Uh, and it is just amazing in my head. But the tools I have to work with, uh, my vocabulary, words, blank sheet of paper, typewriter, what have you know, it's keyboard, things like that, what comes out to me, because I know what it should look like, uh, you know, and then what it does look like is the difference between that and something like on the, you know, on the animation level of South Park. Ah. You, know, it's, it's, <laughs> you know, it looks like almost cardboard things on a screen just about, right? Um, and, but this is the thing. I'm seeing this through my lens of my brain. I'm seeing what's up here not translated perfectly to what's down here on the, on the, on the page. But to the reader, they're seeing it through the lens of their experience, through the lens of their imagination. And to them, it's Lord of the Rings all over again. So we've got to realize that, you know, what we're doing may not look like what we want it to be, but to the reader, it's going to be creating something else entirely. Um, any writer who, who has someone who, you know, who does fan art uh, of their characters is going to tell you, uh, you know, a lot of times, or any writer who's had anybody analyze their work, let me tell you, that gets weird, uh, <laughs> you know. There's things in there you didn't mean to do, but they make a certain amount of sense. And you're sitting here going, yeah, that a whole lot. <laughs> um, so, yeah. yeah, I hear that. So um, one of the things, so that's one of the things is, you know, um, realizing that when you're dealing with, with the, you know, with writer's block, uh, is a lot of times you're afraid that what you're doing is just going to be terrible. Uh, and it probably is. That's Okay. Uh, you know, um, cause the trick there is to just get out and do it, get the work, get the work done. Uh, Lizzie Hale, one of my all time idols, uh, cause she is one of the premier rock goddesses. She's a guitar goddess, um, you know, uh, with Hailstorm. uh, you know, she writes a lot and she, you know, she, t- uh, did this one on, uh, thing. It was just like, look, I hate 90% of what I write, <laughs> but of that 90% of what I write, there's a riff, a note, uh, you know, a, a phrase that I'm going to use somewhere else. Likewise with my stuff. I got, I've got notebooks full of stuff. Um, I'll give you an idea. I don't know if you can see this, but my, my, um, I'm in my office right now. Uh, that, uh, that, I don't know if you can see it right now. That's uh, bookcase next to the TARDIS. Oh yeah. Okay, those every single one of those are notebooks that I have filled with utter junk. Oh my goodness! I think I lost your uh, your audio there. <laughs> there you go. All right. Okay. Better. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, that's just that's just junk. I just you know just utter trash uh, stuff that I've put together over time, and then I'll go back and I'll mine it because I'll go, okay, what was this? What's this thing here? And you know, I'll just go through tearing through a notebook. Um, I've got whole worlds built in some of those notebooks uh, that may never see the light of day. Some of them are just D and D campaigns. Nice. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, but the other thing, the other thing, way I try to uh, beat writer's block is maintenance, because um, one of the things that I, I see is people are going, "Oh, my creative juices are running dry." My creative, you know, basically, you go to the well and it's dry, and. That, I think, is because we don't take care of, we are not taught as writers to take care of ourselves, um, to, to, to do basically um, mental fitness. 
So all the things that people will tell you to do to combat writer's block, don't wait till you've got writer's block to do them. <laughs> yeah. Just you know, every now and again, sit down, listen to music, watch a movie, read a book, um, you know, get out and do some travel, go do something to basically kind of expose you to, to get your brain going. So uh, you know, one thing is always, for, for me, it's always been a matter of getting out, doing something, getting the, you know, getting the ideas flowing, get your brain active, get your brain in a different place. Um, because that's, that's what keeps you from having writer's block in the first place is doing all the things that other people tell you, Oh, take a walk, listen to music, things like that. Do that on a regular, take care of your brain, take care of your imagination. Um, because if you don't treat it like a muscle, it's going to atrophy and then you got to go out and work out again, <laughs> you know? Um, so I really love your, uh, give yourself permission to write badly. That's, that's great. Oh, yeah. That's great advice because a lot of people will write a page and then they'll look at it and go, mm -hmm. oh, this is bad. And then they will decide to rewrite the page <laughs> and then rewrite the page or a short story or they'll rewrite it like 55 times rather than just stop and you right. know give it some yeah. time to breathe and maybe even show it to somebody else and see if they're just too, being too harsh of a critic. So it right. is. Or it just is press on. Yeah. Or yeah. Yeah. yeah just, put it aside. Just... No, I mean, just press on. Keep writing the same thing, even if it's bad. Uh, because at the end of the day, you get to the end, you go, okay, so this is, you know, this is a pile of dirt. <laughs> you know, <laughs> this is, you know, this is, you know, this is the, this is, you know, this is a pile of, of horse poop. Um, but then you go through and go, well, maybe it's not so bad. Maybe I, maybe I, I tweak this, you know, here and I make this thing happen there. And, but you got to get to the end. You got to get it done. Because also the next thing you write may not be so bad. Yeah. And the next thing after that may be pretty good. And then you may go, hey, you know what? I like this concept from this. I bring it into this. Uh, Demon's Apprentice, I did that a lot. Did that a whole bunch. I got characters from Demon's Apprentice that, uh, you know, that are uh, game characters that are just ideas that I had. Uh, one of them is based loosely on me, but smarter than I am. Uh, <laughs> you know, and... Uh, uh, so yeah, it's, it's one of those things of you've got to get, you've got to practice. Um, so artists sketch, singers practice, actors rehearse, you know, but writers, um, we seem to have this idea that we've got to get it perfectly the first time. Yeah. And that's, and that that's is, crazy. Yeah. And that is the biggest, I mean, well, we're taught that even in, in school, uh, we're taught that cause you know, we get graded on our rough drafts. Yep. We don't get a chance, at, you know, we get graded on rough drafts and print that up here. This is Simba. This is hey. one of my cats. Uh, this is Welcome, my Simba. Looks like my cat, Luna. <laughs> right? So, yeah, he's uh, he's one of our – He's all of our cats are adopted. He uh, showed up at my wife's work and uh, one night and just took him home. And he's stayed ever since. That's so cool. Um, so, Welcome aboard, Simba. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, okay, I'm done. This uh, <laughs> is you're talking too much about me. Um, so yeah, I mean that's that's been my big thing is is that you know, yeah, give yourself permission to write badly. That's the best way to break writer's block because um it's momentum, a lot of it's momentum. And if you're I, I'm also not a big believer in inspiration. Um because I've already got everything up here that I need. 
I just need to get it going. So a lot of times, inspiration, uh, if you think of ideas in your head like, like flint and steel, you've got to do things and get things moving around, and then that sparks that sparks inspiration. Get in the middle of the of the scene, and suddenly you're going, oh, this is what would happen. Or now that I'm here, I can see this. But it only happens when you're in the in that moment when you're writing, when you're doing things. So if I wait for inspiration, I want her to find me working. You know? <laughs> I heard you say something earlier that I think is um an advantage too. I heard you say D and D campaign. So you and you said you play Marvel superheroes as well. <laughs> and and that's Yes, D and D Marvel. Yeah, so I think and I, I have some evidence to support this. But I think that mm-hmm. the fact that I've been playing games like that since I was like eight years old and just learning mm-hmm. that improv style and running games and improving that with people has made writing so much easier than if you've never done that before. Oh, yeah. So when I've worked with because, people who I basically uh-huh. mentor brand new writers to try and help them get their mm-hmm. work done, that's one of the things I do professionally. And I have found that right. the folks who have, who have, played video games that are role-playing games at the very least, but better is mm-hmm. tabletop games with other people have a much easier yeah. time grasping the concepts that I throw at them and they, they latch onto <laughs> them and run. Whereas if you <laughs> haven't done it, then you're starting from this point of having to learn not only how to write, but how to improv in your head and create things on the fly that might be more interesting than your original plan right. or make that plan more interesting as you go. So uh, yeah, getting into character because that's the thing is, is, when you are to me writing is all about uh the essence of method acting which is getting to the point where you inhabit the character uh when you you inhabit their brain you inhabit their world their their reactions and their reactions you know are your reactions are their reactions instead of yours um so you know when writing about chance who has been through trauma that i've never seen and would never survive (laughs) um you know but i can get into his head because I've role played that I've, you know, and, and I've, I've learned what that looks like. Uh, yeah. Playing because chance, oddly enough, like I said, he came from a role playing game. Um, we were, uh, we were experimenting, learning the Buffy the Vampire Slayer game. And the idea was that, uh, you know, the character was, the characters were all reluctant heroes. Um, and everybody had the standard high school tropes of, you know, Oh, I have all this power. I don't want it. I want a normal life. And my character was like, no, this is, this has all been done before. I need something that is different. I need something that makes them a reluctant, but also eager hero. So I sit here going, well, make him a former bad guy. Oh, make nice. Him, you know, make him, you know, make him somebody who was taught to be a bad guy. doesn't want to be, uh, who's you know who was forced into something because nothing makes a better hero than someone trying to fix their own wrongs, um, you know? And I, they were like, "Oh, this is so terrible!" It's like, no, this is not terrible. This is a character who's <laughs> had bones broken. This is a character who's had bones broken on a daily basis. Who was taught to steal souls to do get people to do terrible things, and he doesn't want to be, you know? And that chance you know after a certain point i i diverged from where the, where the game was going because chance had won the, the sucks to be you contest <laughs> and, <laughs> and do you really win that contest yeah <laughs> but you know it's certainly um, not one anyone wants to win <laughs> exactly so yeah it, it turned into this entire story so yeah it's it's really 
um, role-playing games are a huge thing. And here's another thing. Uh, if you're wanting to learn to do something, you learn things like it takes like 100 to 200 times to, do, to learn something when you're trying to learn it just by rote repetition. But when you're doing it in play, it only takes about 10 to 20 times before it becomes, if it's fun, it just comes a lot faster. Sure. So, yeah. Yeah, that's that's amazing. One of the things that I had an advantage for writing for me was that I started my career as a musician. And mm-hmm. when we were first starting out, we fell down the, the, I guess, the rut of trying to redo the same things because we're like, this is just the idea. It has to be shaped. And when we finally got over that and learned that maybe mm-hmm. we just used, we needed to take the techniques from what we were struggling with and apply them to something new. We were actually mm-hmm. successful. And so when I first started writing for real a couple of years later, I took that lesson immediately and didn't necessarily allow myself to get boxed into working on a single project at nauseum until it was quote unquote perfect. Yeah. So I kind of understood yeah. the fallacy of perfection early. Yeah, exactly. I think that's the biggest thing that run a lot of people run into. There there are a lot of uh, a lot of myths and fallacies that just irritate the heck out of me. Um, the whole idea, I've got to get it right the first time. I'd rather do it once. Um, you know, I want to get it perfect the first time. I don't do rough drafts. Um, <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. You know, that I'm just going, made me laugh. Dude, yeah. <laughs> oh, no, yeah, me too. Um, well, you know, there, there's a lot of stuff that I've just seen over the years that just I'm going, man, you're going you're gonna to understand what I'm saying right now, but years later, you're going to kick yourself. You know, uh, the whole idea of I don't read other writers work because I don't want to pollute my style. Oh, oh my, my God. God. No. Have you, <laughs> you know, have you listened to how musicians talk about their influences? Writers need that, too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Know? And like I said, I do help people who are just starting to be writers. But if they tell me that they don't read, then I don't then I drop them as a client. <laughs> I won't even work with them yeah, if they're like, like, I don't read. You have yeah, to have yeah, you got to yeah. at the very least yeah. at the very beginning, you should be emulating at, at the very least. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't, I, I guess if you're not a mm-hmm. person who's practiced and studied in college how to do it, and even then I would think you right. would have read a lot, then how are you mm-hmm. going to know what structure looks like? It's not even necessarily something you could read in a, in a self-help book. You just need to see what's right. acceptable in the genre that you're doing. Maybe your genre doesn't have a lot of dialogue. And then here mm-hmm. you are dumping dialogue and the people who are going to read it are like, well, this is trash. Or maybe you should right. have more dialogue. I mean, anyway, yeah, I'm I'm with you. If yeah. you don't read, then you're done. <laughs> so, right. If you don't read, well, and it because it, we learn by association. We don't learn to talk by you know by just figuring it out ourselves. <laughs> we do, you know we also don't develop our regional accent on our own. We learn that by listening, and that is how we hone our voice as writers is by reading other writers and going, Hey, this resonates with me. I need this. Or, Hey, this is terrible. I don't need this. Um, so it's kind of the funny thing is, is I'm originally from South Texas. Okay. Um, but most people cannot tell that because I don't, I you drop for a second there, <laughs> uh, which is kind of, Oh my goodness. Hold on one second. Okay. Okay, you're good. Go ahead and try again. <laughs> okay. Um, so, it, <laughs> this thing. Uh, uh, I don't sound like I'm from South Texas. 
unless I really want to, and then I can just kind of ease smooth, you know, ease right on into that, get that Texas twang out there, and y'all, y'all would never know I was from Missouri. Uh, <laughs> I'm listening to people uh, and smooth, you know, and that's how we learn as writers is by reading other people's work. Stephen King tell you, read, 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 you know, because you don't have, if you don't have time to read, you're not learning your craft. Well, and even, you know, even more than that, as a writer, if you don't have time to read other people's stuff, I don't really understand how you would feel like you're owed anyone reading your stuff. <laughs> I mean, maybe I'm just exactly. speaking, karmatically speaking or something, but Really, if you're not you're reading right. anyone else, then why are you? How, where where is your narcissism level to suggest that your writing is so fantastic that people read you, but you don't read anyone else? Maybe I'm just... right. Well, and the other, no, 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 I'm right there with you because here's what I have run across: the the person that says I'm not going to read anybody else's stuff because I want to be super duper original uh, ends up writing other people's stuff. Yeah, <laughs> you know? absolutely it's, true. Ends up writing recycling all the same ideas because they've never been exposed to anything that's outside of their own little imagination. And there are hundreds of years of writers coming up with stuff and you don't learn to do that until you build on what's already been done. Sure. <laughs> and, and, you know, um, so it's, it's hard too, because if you haven't read a lot of books or you haven't even watched movies and stuff, then it is very easy to just accidentally quote unquote steal from those places. But if you at least know you're doing it, you might be able to twist it in such a way that still makes it original. <laughs> but if you don't know, then why would you change it? Right. Exactly. So yeah. yeah how do you know? How do you know what you're doing? Yeah. yeah I'll, I'd lose my mind about that. You just found my pet peeve. <laughs> so <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah <laughs> well, no, I, I, I share it. I share it. Well, let me ask you a technical question then. What kind of tools do you use? You, you know, word processor, editing tools, if any. How do you stay organized when you write mm -hmm. beside your shelf of uh, notebooks? Mm -hmm. <laughs> notebooks. <laughs> All right. So my organization system is pretty straightforward. Um, so I have, um, I, I generally write, I will start uh, almost uh, universally, I'll start in uh, Microsoft Word. Uh, because that lets me set the set my format up the right way, um, so that later on it's easier to stick with that without having to jump through a lot of hoops. Um, the two of them, one will be like an outline of the of the uh, of the story itself, uh, and the third one will be research notes, characters, you know, place names, uh, just everything that's you know that comes through my head that I come up with that I'm going to want to remember for later on. So. Um, Especially when you're writing, uh, like when I'm writing Chance, and I've got to real, I've got to keep track of all the tools that he has, uh, what his wand and his, on his rod are made out of, um, you know, what uh, what focuses he keeps with him, um, you know, what um, what what he has on him, what what his you know best friend and what his mentor and all those people have on them at any given time. It's a matter of. Um, keeping those things, um, what I'm looking for, um, keeping those things straight. So I have an, I have like basically three documents. One is the flow of the story. One is the information about the world, like my encyclopedia. And the other is the story itself. Right now. Uh, and I'll always, and I'll always keep a notebook with me. 
like a, a notepad or something like that, so that if I get an idea somewhere around, I can just you know jot it down. Uh, and I'll usually keep I usually keep a notebook with me of ongoing projects. So right now my my backpack has like uh, two spiral notebooks and three uh, and three notepads uh, for specific uh, for specific projects. Wow. And what do you, what do you use for your editing tools? Uh, editing tools, really, I just I go through with uh, I don't use like Scrivener and stuff like that. I actually basically go through and red pen it through through my you know through like the uh, the notes in oh, nice. uh, in Google Docs because Google Google Docs lets me write from anywhere, and if I have to put in a note there, uh, it'll it'll keep track of it. So Google Docs and uh, and Microsoft Word. Uh, we'll have editing tools that let you, you know, suggest things, and I'll have people read it, and then they can put in suggestions and notes, and I go through and decide: do I keep this or do I change this? That's awesome. I like that plan. So it keeps it simple. It's not like I need to learn another, uh, you know, another uh, thing or anything like that. You know. Sure. So what's what's your routine like when you write? How do you decide what times you're going to write and all that good stuff? So my routine with my with writing, uh, and this is another place where I am, um, I kind of break the the uh, romantic ideal of a writer, <laughs> um, because a lot of people are going, oh, you know, this, and, and I, I, I mock, but it's actually it happens a lot more than I than I like to to see. Um, a lot of people have this approach of. Oh, I just write when the mood takes me, and you know, I I'm gonna sit in a coffee shop and you know and look cool while I write. I got a desk. I put my butt in my chair and I sit down. Uh, usually, I write after my day job. Um, you know, so I have like a a couple hour, an hour or so block from the time I get home until my wife gets home because she works nights as well, and then I have like a two hour block after that um, where I write. You know, so I'm generally up. So I'm like running, writing from like mm, 9.30, 10 to about 11 or about 11.30. And then from about uh, 12.30, 1 o'clock to about 3 or 4 in the morning some nights. Uh, so, and that I do that every night uh, that I can because I treat it like a job uh, because I want to do it as a job. So if I want this to be my job, I have to treat it like a part-time job. Sure. Uh so, I mean, when I first started writing The Demon's Apprentice from midnight to 3 a.m., uh, I was sitting down and writing every night, um, you know, and until, until I got finished. And I think that's the thing that a lot of uh, aspiring writers, you know, don't get. But that also depends on why you write. I write to get published. I write to make money uh, because it's what I love to do and I would love to do it for a living. But if I'm going to do that for a living, again, I have to be ready to treat it like a job. Yep. No, it's absolutely um, true. So um, one thing, so I have, you know, I have, uh, I sit down, I, I do write, uh, you know, I have my, you know, I make sure that I'm comfortable. Um, you know, my desk is, you know, my desk is in a disorganized mess half the time, <laughs> but my keyboard is always open. Um, sometimes I will, um, now I, I've learned that, uh, once I get to the point again where I can do this full time, I've learned that I need to be out of the house. 
So I'm going to probably rent an office space or have a place that I go to that I can be for, you know, four to six hours a day to write. Because to me, that again, that is the job. I need to go there to do that thing, you know. Um, so I can't have all my games in front of me at the same time, <laughs> you know. Yeah, no, I, I do know all too well. I, I actually left my uh, day job in 2018. Yeah, and, mm-hmm. and started doing it full-time, but I had started working as a ghostwriter in 2016. Mm-hmm. So I was basically doing right. two and a half jobs uh, for mm-hmm. a good two and a half years before I was making enough that I could right. uh, walk away from that profession. And right. But I mean, it does. it. So for me, I read um, Stephen Pressfield is one of my favorite authors. He does historical fiction. Mm-hmm. Have you Have you heard okay. of the, the Gates of Fire? It's a... Uh, no, it's a book. Haven't. It's a book about the Battle of Thermopylae, and uh, he also does oh. some Alexander the Great stuff and uh, a few other mm-hmm. books. He's he's actually really cool. Yeah, humorously enough, he wrote the um, movie Above the Law with Steven Seagal, the very first one. He wrote the screenplay. Okay, for that. I remember that one. Yeah, so huh. he he wrote uh, that screenplay. Uh. He also wrote the screenplay for King Kong Lives, the one that came out in the eighties. He has a fantastic story okay. about how trash it was and uh, how he had all these people come to see it. And then he was like, oh, my God, I feel so bad. <laughs> anyway. Right. Yeah, this is talk about imposter syndrome. I get that. <laughs> so he wrote two books that are absolutely amazing. One is called The War of Art and the other one is called Do the Work. And they're both self-help books for creatives. And they really go mm-hmm. into this huge step of just, you know, resistance is his term for it. Mm -hmm. And resistance is anything that might distract you. It could be like you said, your games are right in front of you. Those are resistance. Mm -hmm. Um, You're sitting down to write and you're like, oh my God, I forgot to, you know, wash the dishes, something, anything. It could be literally anything that is resisting you from actually just getting the work done. And when I read that, it had such a profound impact on my discipline that I was able to really prioritize and separate mm-hmm. out just like you're saying you got to turn that into a job in order to make it work it's exactly it's not oh so i feel like i could be a writer right now i've got 10 minutes it's like come on man that's not that's not dedication no. <laughs> yeah no yeah and, and that's the thing is i i like i like the idea that you got to treat writing like a marriage not a booty call um <laughs> you know <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> I mean, you you got you you got to do you got to do writing when it's not fun. You got to do you know you got to write when even when you don't want to. Okay, yeah, my worst day of writing is better than my best day at a day job. Uh, you know, and um, so you you got to you know, and sometimes yeah, writing is writing is work. Storytelling is work. You're you if you're gonna right if you want to do this professionally or even just make a little money on the side. You got to, you know, you got to do the work. It's, it's, yeah. I mean, it's going to be work uh, because you are wanting to do something professionally. You know, um, you can't just treat it like a hobby. Now, that's not to say writing as a hobby is a bad thing, but you've got to decide where you are as a writer. Do I want to write professionally, or do I want want to write for fun? Yeah, yeah. You know. And it could be the same thing, but if you only want to do it for fun, then that is a very different choice than doing it professionally. So let's move on to what, what uh, I'm going to ask you some work that impacted you, that you found impactful. It's not your favorite because mm-hmm. I think that's impossible for most creative people to pick a favorite of anything. So right, right. 
Name a book or a couple of books that were impactful to you and why. Okay. So uh, one of them I've already mentioned, uh, two of them I've already mentioned, uh, Deadbeat. It was impactful for me because I read my voice resonated with it. I resonated with my voice. So that's the one that made me go, I can do this. I can do this. I, you know, if this guy can be a New York Times bestseller, I can at least sell a couple books. The other is Gossamer Axe uh, because it showed me what modern day magic can look like. <clears throat> um, but I think also uh, things that have impacted me overall. Uh, movies like Star Wars. Star Wars was my gospel as a kid, uh, and it is a it is a beautiful example of the hero's journey. Uh, it is an example of what transformative writing can be uh, when you when you go with something like that. Um, and likewise, the Lord of the Rings. Reading the Lord of the Rings uh, was a big impact on me. Of like, this is this world. Um, and then the other one, uh, that and again, this is one of those obscure ones, it's called the Coromandi duology. Uh, the Doomfarers of Coromandi and the Star Followers of Coromandi. It's portal fiction, and it is just it was written in the 70s, it is just amazing to me, and I keep going back to it. That's awesome. Same question That's movies not- or shows? Movies or shows, okay. Uh, again, Star Wars, uh, Star Trek. Uh, also a big one, but another big one uh, that was just some amazing storytelling, uh, two of them actually, one, Babylon 5, uh, which just, you know, said, here's the story, we're telling this in five seasons, and this is the story beginning, middle, and end. But the other one that was just fantastic to me, uh, uh, oh God, I can't remember the name of it, um, <laughs> Ben Browder, um, Farscape. Oh, oh yeah. my God. Far- Farscape was amazing uh, for me because it showed what good writing, writing good, uh, you know, a female character looks like when done well, um, you know, and just letting the actors do their thing and, and telling stories. Um, and then I think in, in terms of movies, um, so this is going to kind of be kind of weird, but heavy metal. Oh yeah, that original. Yep. The animated one, yeah. Yeah. Oh my god. That was just some amazing off the wall, amazing writing. You know, down of Earth, you know, and lines that continue to go through my head. Hey man, we having that plutonium nightboard left. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny you mentioned that. I literally just watched that maybe two weeks ago. <laughs> right? You know, it's just it's just a and the running theme all the way through it and the way they use music as part of the storytelling. It was just like, you know, oh my God. Um, you know, and it took me into a, it took me to a different place in storytelling. Um, likewise, the wall. Uh, that was that one was a trip. <laughs> so, well, it sounds like and then, music you 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 have a lot of influence from music, it sounds like. So I think the next one will probably be a special for you. If you want to talk about some impactful music. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. Okay. So um, when I was writing The Demon's Apprentice, some of the most impactful music for me came from uh, uh, um, uh, Lincoln Park. Oh, my God. Lincoln Park was a huge influence. But another influence, weirdly enough, 
was um, was iced tea. Oh wow! Uh, yeah, because uh, that gave me that that opened my eyes to a storytelling an inner city life that was just completely different from my white bread upbringing. <laughs> um, there is one song on on his on one of his albums uh, called Midnight that just set the entire tone of the city that I write in. Um, and it just, you know, completely changed the way I thought. But uh, other influences for me, Joe Satriani, uh, that man can make a guitar talk. Um, you know, most of his music is instrumental. So, um, you know, he, he, I can listen to Joe Satriani and Time Machine set for me the tone of, of Chance's world. So, yeah, Linkin Park, um, you know, some, uh, some rap, uh, specific rap like, you know, Ice-T um, and uh, you know, Satriani. Um, Linkin Park is, is a big influence because it's a very – Linkin Park is very, very visceral. Um, so that's, I think, one of my big things. So, yeah, I mean, I think that is one of the, one of the big ones for me in terms of music yeah i i remember i saw joe satriani when i was 16 and i'd seen tons of shows before plenty after but with joe satriani what was most amusing was that i knew half the pe half the people i ran into i knew from either my guitar teacher and all of his students were there so i kept running into them right and everyone in band right. class that i knew was there because i was in high school band and i kept running into them uh -huh. And other musicians that were in bands that I ran into from other high schools were all there. So I was like, wow, this is almost like a private show of my closest friends and a few acquaintances. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, Satriani, um, he, he's, he goes into such weird places that I love. Uh, Time Machine is one of my favorite, but flying, I just, he will, his, there's one song that he does that I cannot listen to uh, just sitting and listening to without crying, and that's 10 words. Oh, wow. I don't know why. Yeah, 10 words just hits, just hits different than almost anything else out there. Yeah, he was a lot of fun. He still had hair when yeah. I saw him. <laughs> uh, yeah, I remember him going bald. I was going, hey, my God, that's me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Name something you think everyone should experience. It could be other writers and creatives or anyone at all. Okay. So depending on what you write, uh, I think somebody should, you know, like if you write fantasy, you need to experience a fully immersive moment in recreation. So for me, writing fantasy, my time in the SCA was amazing. Because I would wake up in the morning, I would step outside my tent, and I could swear I was in the Middle Ages. Oh, that's so cool. Uh, you know, so full immersion into a life that is not yours, uh, into a time, into a place, going to just anything that takes you into the world you write. Every writer needs to express. I mean, and I, if I were to if I were to be just you know totally cliche, life and you've got to do a lot of stuff. Like you know, like you mentioned earlier, you've got to do a lot of stuff. Experience life in general. Travel. Go to places you've never been before. Uh, you know, go to do a thing. Go to join. You know, check out the SCA. 
uh, check out the Mountain Man retreats if you write, you know, uh, if you write uh, like uh, Amer- American history fiction. Um, go to a, you know, go to a, a, a uh, an air show that features World War II planes and things like that. Um, just step out of the world you're in and step into a different kind of place. Because if you don't, you're never going to understand what it's like to sit in the, you know, in, in the driver's seat of, of a 1920s, you know, uh, Ford Model T or, or any of those things. You're never going to understand why we, why we dig so much uh, the, the scenes in Indiana Jones just of travel. You know, understand what that's like so that you can change your perspective. Um, you'll see something that makes you see the world from a different perspective. So based on your answer, I, I have a, I have another question. And since you brought up Indiana Jones, it's perfect. I okay. have never personally enjoyed writing books where there's tons of travel. And it's not because mm-hmm. I don't like the idea of it. It's that I, I don't like doing the necessary getting from point A to point B writing, you know, talking about the the trail or whatever it's going to be. I don't really like that particular part of it as much, but it's part of it. Yeah. So you got to do it. So, but yeah. what do you think compels readers about travel fiction? And the reason I ask it that way is because I wrote one book where there's lots of moving around. I mean, the characters have to go from point A to point Z and that all the adventures happen. It's not quite Lord of the Rings crazy, but it's pretty close. And for some reason, everybody who read it was like, Oh my God, this is the best thing ever. And I'm like, I mean, it's, it's cool, but (laughs) it's a lot of moving. But what do you think is gets people so passionate about those travel books? I think the idea is, is, is not so much the destination is the journey. Some of the best scenes that I wrote are like chance, uh, you know, in the back of a car and the, you know, the, the way the lights play across him in shade at one point as he's just understanding things are different. Uh, I think there's something transformative about travel. I think we see ourselves growing in, in moments of travel. Um, that travel can be kind of cool, you know, where you're just along for the ride, <laughs> you know, sure. um, seeing new places, you know, and, and, and the world changes around you. It's just from uh, you know, you're still in your chair, but you're still in a different place, different customs, different you know, and we thrive on those new things. Um, so yeah, I mean that's and that's the thing is also uh, you know we learned we, we get to see new places, new people, eat new foods, smell new things. It's just an entire smorgasbord for our senses, and I think stimulation uh, is one of those things that makes people feel. That's that's probably one of the more reasonable ways of looking at it that I've heard. And it helps me understand. It helps me feel better about writing those scenes. I'll tell you that. <laughs> right, right. I hear that. So, but yeah, and one thing, one thing I always encourage writers to do is always learn new stuff. Like I, sir, uh, I taught myself how to pick locks. Uh, I had never actually learned how to do it. Um, so now, you know, I it was kind of funny. I was, uh, I was, I still do live action. Uh, and I was, uh, we were doing a weekend event and, um, I care, I'm playing rogue because that's what I do. Um, <laughs> and I'm talking, talk to a guy about, yeah, well, you know, the rock, proper tools and stuff, you can pick a lock. And we're at this campground and there's this, this old rusty lock. The guy goes, oh yeah, try it on this. And in less than 30 seconds, I had that lock. 
things. Nice. And I'm like going, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, I'm just going, oh my God, I'm the most dangerous man in this room. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> you know um, because I, I done, I did it with, uh, I have, I built a rogues kit for my character that had a multi-tool, has a little thing for cutting, uh, cutting cord. It's like a little ring with a little hook, uh, a little hook blade on it. Uh, you know, and I, I got to the point where I could actually do almost everything that character can do. And let me tell you, it changes your perspective about what, what's going on in a room, <laughs> you know, locked doors are suddenly no longer a problem for you. <laughs> so. Yeah. I, I took the time to go and take a, uh, handgun course and actually mm-hmm. did some shooting yeah. at a range to understand how they felt and, and responded. So I thought that was right? pretty important um, if my character was going to be using a lot of guns. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, yeah, like Chance uh, uses a uh, uses a Lamat, which is a, uh, a percussion cap revolver. So fortunately, I have a friend who has a percussion cap revolver, uh, and we went out to a range. And let me tell you, you did that using something like that. That's you know where you actually. Uh, doing the gunpowder, putting it in there and putting cat, you're not going to be firing off like a dozen rounds of shot no. at, at a time, <laughs> you know, cause that takes a minute to, to reload. And, uh, so you learn to make every shot count and they, and, and guns like that fire differently than a, uh, you know, than the smokeless, uh, you know, than, than, uh, modern guns. So it's so, yeah, so different experience those things, do stuff. I mean, that's one thing everybody should do, do a lot of stuff. Well, why don't we, now that we're, we're actually pushing uh-huh. an hour, but I want you to have some uh-huh. time to talk about your work. You know, what, mm-hmm. what, what is this book that's coming out on Saturday and uh, what's going on with that? Okay, so this is uh, this one's called Reign of Angels. Uh, this is the seventh book in the Demon's Apprentice series, and it kind of completes the apprentice phase of, of Chance's life. Um, it was the... It was, when I first started writing The Demon's Apprentice, I had everything through this book planned. Um, so I knew the end of it, uh, or at least I thought I did uh, at one point. Um, uh, and I, I don't feel like I'm spoiling anything, but the the phrase, uh, you know, chance, at one point chance says, um, you know, I have a message. Fear not, we are coming. That's been in my head since 2007. Oh, nice. <laughs> uh, uh, so finally having that written out, like, what, 14, 15 years later, just, you know, uh, just amazing to be able to, to do. Uh, it is the culmination of everything that has started in Demon's Apprentice. Uh, and it is kind of like I said, the, the uh, end of that first cycle. Now, the Demon's Apprentice series is going to keep going on. But this one is chance taking everything he's learned over the past six books, um, you know, and learning to go from being an apprentice to a mage, uh, to finally coming into his own. Um, and this is where we see chance at his absolute best and worst, uh, worst. It's, um, it, it, it's, it covers the most area. I have him go to, uh, to Colombia in South America. I have him going to Berlin at one point, <laughs> you know, uh, he globetrots in this one a lot. Uh, and it is, it, it cover it, it, um, it's, oh, it's, it's, it ties 
it ties up a lot of loose ends uh, and it brings a lot of things to fruition. And um, there is, I, I think people are going to love what happens with one of the characters uh, that was at one point a fan favorite. Um, and we find out a different fate for that character. All right, all right. So the next book in this series is going to have to happen about three years later because uh, this has characters have matured. They've come into their own. Uh, I've got at least two series spinning off after this, uh, one involving Chance's best friend, uh, Lucas, who by this time is known as Guy Midnight, uh, and one that is completely unrelated but happens near New Essex. Um, so, yeah, this world has grown beyond just Chance's story. So I guess how long are you going to wait before you jump into the next uh, to to writing the next book now that you've got one coming out? I'm already working on the next book. I I knew you were going to say that. (laughs) (laughs) I I really actually I didn't feel like it was the right time to release it until I had something going for the second book and for for book eight. And, uh, you know, suddenly I had the scene where Chance encounters uh, another character of mine uh, that has been, I've been playing uh, in Marvel superheroes for 30 years. Oh my goodness. Wow. Yeah. Since 1991. And I was just, I was like, cause Chance had gone everywhere he could with his current mentor, but now he needs a new teacher. And this guy is the one uh, who can teach him not so much about being a mage, but something about being a uh, being the mage, as it were, you know, um, about how he can do things better, uh, you know, being a better person, being uh, being something more than he is. So that's going to be an interesting start. Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, I've already, you know, like I said, I've got about 2,000, uh, 2,500 words uh, already on that one. Uh, that's going to take Chance into a different, uh, into a different phase in his life with a different enemy. Um, because he's, you know, this is going to close the whole, uh, the whole Mammon's, uh, arc in, uh, Demon's Apprentice and go to a, a completely new enemy because defeating one enemy doesn't always mean that that's the, that's all that's left. Sometimes that means opening other doors that you didn't mean to. <laughs> so, huh. uh, so yeah, it's, it opens a whole new doors. This one's going to end up. Uh, closing one one part of it and opening a whole new set of doors. That's awesome. So, when do you think ballpark mm-hmm. you'll release your next one? I guess that speaks to your timeline of, of start to finish. <laughs> um, when I'm when I'm in the groove, um, you know, and my and mentally healthy, <laughs> which the pandemic really took a toll on a lot of people, myself included. Um, I can get one done in six to eight months. I don't know how that's going to look like in the chance verse. I've already got another book that is done and in the pipeline. It's uh, in a similar world, but it's a superhero one. So that one may be coming out soon. Uh, I've got the, right. Uh, what I'm calling the Strongville Chronicles. It was originally, the idea was uh, what if the, what if the, uh, the main character is, is basically a dad you know, all of the dad jokes and, you know, <laughs> uh, and all that, but in a, in an urban fantasy setting. Um, and that, that kind of, that's kind of evolved. 
Um, so yeah, I, I would say give it about uh, anywhere from eight months to a year, and I should have um, Falling Angel, my superhero, one out. Uh, the Strongbow Chronicles, I may have that one out first, and then uh, Major New Essex. That's kind of what's in my pipeline. I should have some stuff out within the next few months. That's awesome. Well, where do people find your work? So, where do people find your work, mm-hmm. and how would uh, how would they get more information? All right. So um, the best place to get most information is going to be my website, which is benesreader.com. Um, and uh, also on my on my uh, Facebook, uh, on my author, my, my Ben Reader uh, author page on Facebook. I'm trying to get into more into Instagram and, and Twitter. So uh, the one true Ben is where you'll find me on Twitter. And uh, but yeah, Amazon is exactly where to find, uh, you know, find all of my work. Or if you like Audible, the entire Demon's Apprentice series is now out on audible.com. Who read your books? The narrator for my series is an actor by the name of Charlie Thurston. Uh, does some fantastic work, has a very versatile voice. A lot of people just love his stuff. I was very fortunate to get him. Um, and the Audible is uh, one of the advantages of having an agent. So... Uh, again, if you if you get if you start making money, get an agent because <laughs> so, an agent will get you more stuff there. But Audible, Amazon, BenSReader.com, uh, those are the main places to find me uh, or on Twitter. Look for the one true Ben. Same in on uh, Instagram. Well, congratulations on your cup upcoming release. And I hope it does fantastic. Mm-hmm. And I really want to say thank you so much for coming. Technical difficulties aside, you are awesome. And thanks. Uh, I mean, you know, I'm happy to do this time. I, you know, it's been great. Um, you know, I, I love the questions and it's just kind of exploring, uh, exploring the, you know, the art. Um, so, and, and I love that you know we get along along with so many of the same philosophies in writing. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to invite you back for a more uh, directed topic. Uh, I mean, like I said, this podcast is mostly about writing and and creating and stuff. So, um, I would love to uh, see you come back and throw out some more of your ideas. I'll get the technical side fixed better too. <laughs> All right. All right. All right. Robert, it's been a pleasure, man. Hey, thank you again. It's great to meet you. And I'll talk to you soon. All right. Take it easy, man. All right. Bye. I want to thank Ben for stopping by and talking about his work and his philosophies on writing. It was fantastic. I look forward to doing it again. If you liked what you heard and you want to hear more, please visit our website at www.societycasefiles.com. Or if you'd like to support the project, visit us at www ko-fi.com slash society case files look forward to seeing you next time thanks very much